Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is presented by Podgo. Podgo is the easiest way for you to monetize your podcast. Podgo is providing podcasters with a flat rate for ad space so you always know how much you get when you include an ad from Podgo. Apply today to become a member and immediately be connected with advertisers that fit your audience. That's podgo.co. That is one more time, P-O-D-G-O dot C-O, podgo dot co. This episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is sponsored by Blue Chew. Let's talk about something we could all use more of right now. That's right, sex. Great sex. Guys, now you can increase your performance and get extra confidence in the bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com is the place to go. That's right, blue, like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. If you could benefit from more confidence right where it counts, Blue Chew is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free. That's right. When you use the promo code EMPIRE, you pay just $5 shipping. Again, that's BLUEQ.com, the promo code EMPIRE, to try it for free. That's right, BlueChew.com. Use the promo code EMPIRE. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he bent me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If it's Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name, that happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. Joining me on the line right now is a former four-time HWA World Heavyweight Champion and 11-time HWA World Tag Team Champion. He is a CAC Hall of Fame trainer. He is Mr. Cody Hawk. Cody, welcome. To hey, Power thanks Show. for having me, man. No problem. So what is going on in your world? What have you been up to? Uh, 
my world is filled with uh, wrestling and uh, tiptoeing lightly about around uh, COVID restrictions and rules and uh, just trying to stay active and, and keeping uh, my little school and promotion up and running. Where is the school and is it still, is it, is it by Heartland? Is it by the old HWA? Uh, no, we are in Hamilton, Ohio. Uh, the old HWA shut down years ago. Um, we closed down uh, our version of it in 2007. Um, my uh, company that I'm with now is Future Great Wrestling, uh, and that's located out of uh, Hamilton, Ohio, and, and that's where the school is and everything. So how's it going over there, like, as far as student-wise? Is it still, like, a big class? Are you still doing a lot of trainings, or has it been slow? Uh, well, COVID has definitely slowed things down a bunch, um, but, I mean, we're maintaining. We're we're uh, you know humming along like uh, you know I got I got a, a half a dozen or so uh, decent uh, kids uh, that are you know started with me after uh, COVID and everything. But uh, that definitely has put a, a hurt on uh, on the business. Now, what's the school called? Um, it's uh, Hawks Pro Wrestling Academy. And is this for like let's say complete rookies, or is this like a finishing school, like, or is it a mix of both? It's a, it's a mix of both, and actually uh, I have a whole bunch of a different little side projects and stuff uh, running in there. I teach a kids' fitness class. I actually teach two different kids' fitness classes there. Um, and then, uh, you know, I have uh, the, re- the regular classes for uh, fully trained wrestlers or brand spanking new wrestlers. Uh, and we get them going and off the ground and up and running. Is training something that always kind of came easier to you? Because it seems like, obviously, you know, you've trained quite a few big-time wrestlers in your career. Uh, well, I, I never actually, uh, like, setting out to be a trainer was never a goal. It was never a plan. It was just sort of something that kind of happened by chance. Uh, back at HWA, uh, the, the uh, guy that trained me, Les Thatcher, uh, he uh, used to rely on me a lot. Uh, when things were going on, uh, you know, at the wrestling school, if he had an interview or if there was somebody visiting or, or whatever, he would always put me in charge of class. Cody, uh, take care of class, and I run the class. So we would just do the same drills and things that he always put us through, and we would just run through the class. And over, over time, over uh, you know, a few years, that became more and more of a regular thing up to the point where the uh, WWE uh, had uh, the developmental contract with HWA. And uh, when that happened, uh, Les kind of went full-time into training mode with the contracted talents that were coming from WWE, WCW, and ECW. And then the non-contracted talents that were just the regular uh, you know, students from around town uh, I ended up with all of those as as my students. So, so that's uh, you know how how I got into the training game, and like I said, it was nothing that was ever planned. It was just something that sort of happened along the way. Uh, over over the course of a bunch of years, um, the, uh, the 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 wrestling school and stuff uh, just. You know, it, it kind of fell into my lap, and I ended up being the one to have to run it and take it. Yeah, it's kind of 
cool in, in a way, but you know, also a little crazy just the way it happens. It's like you didn't kind of set out to do it, but somehow we're a natural at it, and it kind of just came easy to you, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say it came easy. I mean, I I just did the uh, the drills and the rules and the things that uh, um, I had been doing, uh, you know, uh, for from Les, uh, just running his drills and his things. So it, it wasn't like I was trying to fix the broken wheel or anything. I was just doing, uh, it was just doing, you know, the things that had always been done. And, uh, you know, and, and over time, I guess I kind of put my own spin and my own take on things. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately a lot of the things we were doing were just uh, recycled drills from him. As far as like, as you're moving along and you're training a bunch of guys, I think most notably, I guess everyone probably thinks of like John Moxley, a.k.a. Dean Ambrose first, right, of like the, the big names and notable names that you've trained? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the, the one that everybody points to the most uh, when whenever anybody's asking me about uh, guys I've trained. Uh, but, I mean, there, there have been a whole ton of people that have come down the pipeline uh, out of my training camp over the years. Uh, you know, plenty of guys that, uh, you know, have uh, achieved a lot of success and, 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 and several that have gone on to, you know, become fairly household names. With him, when, when you first kind of lay your eyes at him, do you see potential? Do you see star? Or you don't really see that when you're kind of first getting him and breaking them in when you're training. Uh, I mean, it just depends, you know, like the, uh, the, the, some kids come to wrestling school and they have genuine wrestling knowledge. They're fans. They watch video. Uh, and they, they actually already kind of have a, a grasp on uh, the, the way wrestling sort of works. And then there are some people that just show up and, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure why they show up. Maybe it's just they're looking for something fun to do on a Friday night or, uh, you know, something like that because uh, definitely had my fair share of students where I'm like, uh, do you even watch wrestling? And they're like, no, uh, not really. So... I get a little bit of everything, you know. With him, with Moxley, did you get a good sense? Like, okay, this guy, he's into it. He loves the business. This guy's going to go places? Uh, yeah, well, John uh, came to me. He was only 16 years old. And uh, at that point in time, Les was still running the training school. And uh, he he wanted to train, and Les wouldn't let him, said he was too young for him to come back when he was 18. I told him uh, that if he wanted to uh, hang around and push a broom and clean up and help with set up and tear down, that uh, I would find a way to get him into the training school before he was 18. So he did. He hung around, and he, he did all the odd jobs and everything. And within a month or two, uh, he, he was training and going. And um, he was just uh, real easy to train because he had a, a plethora of knowledge in his head. He was a true student of the game, a true wrestling fan. So training him was very easy. Uh, it came very natural for him, mainly because I think because he was a wrestling fan and he had been watching wrestling his entire life and tape trading and that kind of stuff was a big deal back then. And, and he was a big uh, tape trader. Trade, uh, trading tapes of uh, Japanese wrestling, and 
ECW wrestling and things that we couldn't necessarily get on television here in Ohio. So he was a big uh, tape trader. He was really, you know, he loved the business. He was into the business. When you're actually physically training him and getting him ready, I mean, that's got to be a whole nother ball game, right? Like physically, is he physically ready? So when did he start getting like physically to where the point where you're like, okay, this kid could be, could be something. Uh, right off the get go. I mean, my class, uh, the, the HWA class back then was a two year course. And, uh, my class, Currently is a six-month course, and I'm not saying after six months anybody's going to be ready for their first match or anything, but that's sort of the time frame I, I kind of put on it before I'm willing to let somebody kind of take my name and run with it. And with John, uh, at about the three-month point uh, in, in his career, you know, three months into training, he already had all the basic concepts of wrestling down and was better than guys that had already been on the show for a couple of years. So it, it was real easy to get him on the show fast and and make uh, make him, you know, a, a viable character on the show. He was young, though. He was, you know, at that point, he was only, you know, 17 years old. So he still looked like a 17-year-old boy. He didn't look like a, a man yet. Um, he... Uh, he, he did have some size to him and stuff, and he was going to the gym regularly, and he was eating right. Uh, he had uh, some transportation issues, uh, and then uh, when he got out of uh, high school, he ended up moving in with me, and he lived at my house for three or four years, and I made sure that he was able to you know, get to the gym and get to the training school and, and that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, he was, he was if I was going to call anybody uh, naturally gifted at wrestling, he would be the guy. And he lived with you too, which I didn't know. So you I mean you guys must have been pretty close. Yeah, I mean we were buddies for sure. With that and everything, do you think that you know as he's coming along, is it like kind of like basically you really really want him to succeed? You're really kind of making sure, or is this him and his heart like he just he's just really pushing for it? Um, he was really pushing for it. He wanted to succeed. And, of course, I was pushing for it because uh, as a trainer, you want me personally as a trainer, I want my kids, my trainees, I want them to go as far as they can possibly go as quickly as they can possibly get there because that does nothing but help my reputation as a trainer. Uh, I'm not looking to keep somebody under my thumb for years and years and years because at some point, uh, I mean, you, you never stop learning in the wrestling business, but at some point, I don't have as much information to share with you as I did when you were new. And, uh, you know, a after training with me for several years and, and getting out into the indie wrestling world, uh, he it, it was time for him to kind of do his own thing. So, you know, he started branching out and going over to the East Coast and doing stuff over there and then. He got himself booked over overseas in Germany and started working uh, around that territory over there, Germany, England, Scotland, doing all that. Uh, so I gave him the basic tools to, to get himself going, uh, and, and he constructed his own road uh, as to how he got there. Were you ever surprised at his success? Were you ever like, wow, you know, he's gotten a lot further than I even imagined? No, I knew from very, I mean, that used to be sort of the running theme around the locker room was this kid's going to make money one day. 
with him eventually, you know, getting to WWE, being a WWE champion, AEW, AEW champion, any of that ever surprise you? Like, wow, like he's you know top of the top of the business, basically. No, not really. I mean, when he got his deal at WWE and started with the Shield, the you know the Shield caught on fire really quick, and and to to me that was just more of the same guy that I had seen coming up through the Indies. Uh, he is always the guy that was trying to shine and 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 have all eyes on him, and uh, you know, and he did that. And as as he matured and and got older and went from being a, a new guy on the scene to being a veteran on the scene, uh, the way he carried himself and his attitude and and everything that's that's what solidified him as as being that and. As a trainer, you know you get to you get to know these kids and these people pretty well, and you know what kind of a person they are. And so, in all honesty, like him making it as far as he's made it, uh, none of that surprised me, and nothing he does, you know, going forward will surprise me because that that's more or less what I expected out of him. Do you guys still talk today? Are you still friendly? Are you still close? Yeah, I uh, just talked to him uh, five or six days ago, honestly. So, yeah, we're we're buddies. He's uh, he's the one that inducted me into the uh, Cauliflower Alley Club uh, two years ago in Vegas, uh, and hopefully uh, I'll get him uh, back to town eventually, and we'll we'll get to do a little more business together somewhere down the line. That is great. Now, how did you feel about that honor of being inducted? I mean, it's a pretty big honor for being uh, the trainer award, Cauliflower Alley, very legendary stuff there. Uh, very humbled. I mean, Cauliflower Alley's been around since 1965. They've only given that, uh, they had only at that time given that trainer's award out to uh, Steve Kern, who was big at uh, FCW and trained all the, the young talent that was there. And another guy out of Canada named Ron Hutchins, who trained Edge and Christian and a whole uh, host of people from up there. And then there was me. So, uh, you know, we're very, very humbled to, to be uh, even considered in that same category and class of people. Uh, I, was, I was actually pretty blown away by it. Not something I ever expected to achieve. That is great. And you sound like you were pretty shocked, to, you know, to be getting it as well. Uh, I was uh, definitely uh, shocked. I mean, I knew for a while that it was coming, uh, that my name had been thrown around for a couple of years uh, trying for it. And uh, so when I actually got the the phone call, you know, like I I was super surprised. But at the same time, uh, not that I was expecting it, but, you know, it had been talked about before. So it it wasn't quite the, oh, my God, shock, but it was the oh my god I can't believe I'm uh, actually winning this award considering the fact uh, uh, the other two winners before me and how often they've actually given out this award what was that weekend like for you at the CAC uh, well I'm a I go to CAC every year and I have since probably 2003 uh, it's I love that weekend it's uh, just uh, tons and tons of wrestlers descend on Vegas and uh, you're just sort of immersed in wrestling the whole time, uh, and uh, and it's Vegas. Who doesn't love Vegas? Um, wrestling shows uh, on Sunday and Monday, uh, which we're usually a part of, and then uh, various training camps and stuff. 
which uh, I've been a trainer and a coach at a few of them. Um, and then there's a, a little mini convention that kind of goes on uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Uh, or I'm sorry, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, um, where, you know, they got a room set up with tables and, you know, there's uh, several dozen wrestlers in there, uh, old, old-time wrestlers, the gorgeous ladies of wrestling wrestlers, like all kinds of stuff wrestling-related. And, and it's, it's pretty fun and neat. And then uh, Tuesday night they do uh, an informal banquet, uh, just, you know, dress nice, uh, bologna blowouts, what they call it, it's, uh, sandwiches and cold cuts and potato salad and stuff, and they give out half of the awards that night. It's about a four- to five-hour event. Uh, and then the next night is formal. Everybody's dressed to the nines. And uh, then they give out the, the last half of the awards there. And it's real fancy schmancy dinner and uh, cocktail hour and stuff. <laughs> but uh, it's literally, you know, I, I was in a class of people with, like, Ming and the Barbarian and Mark Henry and uh, David Schultz. And so lots of people that I grew up wrestling uh, lots of people that I had watched on television, uh, and to be to be included in that class of people this is pretty awesome. That is awesome, and you're not very old either. You know what I mean? To be inducted, you're still pretty young as far as uh, wrestling business. Well, let's not fool anybody. I'm actually a a little older than I look. I'm uh, 47. I'll be 48 later this year. So I mean, yeah, I'm not super old yet, but I've got 25 years of wrestling behind me, and um, you know. I am getting up there a little bit. And I believe it was earlier uh, this month. It was it was actually February 5th, right? You celebrated 25 years in the business. Yep, that's exactly right. Uh, February 5th, 1996, I walked into HWA and uh, started my journey in pro wrestling. What was that like? I mean, I guess you said you were always a fan. You kind of grew up. Was that intimidating at all to finally say, all right, I'm going to start the journey, but, man, uh this is not going to be easy. Uh, when I first started, uh, the HWA wrestling school was, was pretty small, and it wasn't really on the map yet as far as uh, a, a bigger-name promotion. And, and back then, in the mid to late 90s, there was not a wrestling company on every corner, and there wasn't a wrestling school in every town. So I lived in Dayton, Ohio, and if I wanted to train, I was either going to have to go to Pittsburgh or I was going to have to go to Cincinnati or I was going to have to go to Louisville because um, it just wasn't anything close. Uh, I went down, I checked out the school. Uh, there were six guys wrestling there that night, um, and, and I watched them train, and they got me up in the ring, and they, they taught me a couple of falls, and I, I learned uh, pretty quickly. I, I took the falls pretty quickly and easily. Um, so uh, I, I didn't feel like I was a natural or anything, but I felt like, uh, you know, this is something I could do. Uh, I had played high school sports, and then I had tried to play uh, college football, and that just didn't work out for me. I was not quite big enough to uh, handle that. Uh, so uh, I needed something to fill that sports void, and wrestling just it worked. And that, like I said, that first night I watched, I saw, I got to participate a little bit, and I said, I don't care what it takes. I'm going to come back back at HWA, turning over my $2,500, and and off we went. Man, that's pretty crazy to think that you almost didn't get into business. You almost became a race car driver if uh, maybe things kind of changed and were a little bit different for you. 
Yeah, I don't know what kind of a race car driver I'd have been, but uh, I, I think I chose the right path. Now, when you kind of break in, when is your first match? Would it be 98? Was that kind of the first time, like, you really, uh, like, big-time match, like, for HWA and stuff? Well, yeah, I started uh, my training in uh, February of 96, and by uh, April or May of 96, I was refereeing shows. Uh, I was forced to be a referee at first, but that, uh, it ended up being, uh, you know, a blessing in disguise in the long run. Uh, but I was I was traveling to Louisville and going to work with for IWA and I was tra- traveling over to Pittsburgh and working over there and, and I was doing I was doing some some pretty decent things as a referee and and getting out there and meeting promoters and and you know getting my name uh, pushed around a little bit uh, yeah and my my trainer Les uh, he was a really old school stickler and he wasn't gonna let you come out and be a wrestler and use his name unless you were damn good at what you were doing and uh, he made me train until uh, August of '98 and so it was just uh, just a smidge over two years and uh, when I I got my first match uh, in August uh, of that year I got my first match and by November. I had my first uh, my first uh, dark matches uh, at WWE. Well, they weren't actually dark matches. They were on TV. They were just job matches, though. So, uh, you know, first time I ever did anything for WWE was Sunday Night Heat, and that was in, like I said, uh, October, I think, October, November of, of uh, 98. Do you remember who you worked when you were in WWE? Uh, I, I probably did a dozen different matches there, but... They were with, uh, I don't know, mid, mid-card mid guys, uh, did stuff with Draws, did stuff with Albert, uh, did stuff with Vic Grimes, who they were calling Key at the time, uh, did stuff really strong, and uh, it was uh, either either sink or swim, you know, and I watched a lot of my friends uh, sink, and uh, I was lucky enough, uh, me and half a dozen other guys, we were lucky enough to swim, and not only swim, but do well. So, yeah. Was that intimidating, though? They're like, okay, now now WWF guys, WCW, now you have so many guys. It's such an influx of talent. It's almost too many guys. Oh, it was definitely too many. There was just enough room to walk past it on the other side, and then uh, the third side had uh, enough area that we were, we could put about 10 chairs and then the back side of the ring was where about the other 90 people went. And it was just very basic bones, just a ring and a concrete room with a bunch of metal folding chairs. But we had uh, we had already been running shows there for a few months before WWE even came calling. And we had we were the first uh, first people in and around our area to to be running a weekly show. Uh, the very first week we did it, we had about 30 people that showed up, and it was no Facebook, there was no social media advertising, there was nothing. We just put out a few flyers and a little bit of word of mouth, and we Cincinnati. They were told, as part of your contract, you go to Cincinnati and you work for this developmental company. So they were getting paid. There was we didn't have to pay the WWE guys. They were getting paid, and all of us non-contracted guys that were there, we were just happy to be a part of it. And none of us cared that we were not getting paid because we were getting to train and work 
with uh, all of this talent that we have all been watching on TV for who knows how long. So, you know, money wasn't a thing to any of us at that point in time. And if, if one of us young guys were to chime up and were to say something about money, there was enough talent that the people in charge would have just said, hit the road. We don't need you. So there was never any heat between the, you guys and, like, the WB guys? That would never uh, really be the case? Well, I mean, I won't say that. I mean, we were all definitely jealous of these guys. Um, you know, uh, uh, as part of their contract, they had to come move to Cincinnati. They had to train four days a week, and they had to wrestle on two shows a week. And we had a show every Tuesday night and a show every Saturday night. And, and that was the requirements. Come to three hours of training, Monday through Thursday, wrestle Tuesday night, wrestle Saturday night. That was it. That was all they had to do. And some of these guys were getting paid thousands of dollars a week. Um, and, and us guys, uh, you know, some of us, uh, not me, but some of the other guys were still paying to train there and just to be a part of the company. And we would train three or four nights a week. We would wrestle on those same shows, and we wouldn't get paid for it. So definitely we were a little jealous of that. Um, and then, uh, you know, some of our Saturday shows where we would draw four and five and 600 people, uh, you know, the, the promoter would come around and hand 25 bucks or 50 bucks out to some of us non-contracted talent. And, uh, you know, and, and the contract guys that were getting paid, some of them, not all of them, some of them were salty that we were getting 25 bucks off of the show and they didn't get anything. But, you know, hell, they were getting thousands of dollars a week just to to train and, and, and do what they were doing. So none of us felt sorry for them. Today's episode of the two-man power trip of wrestling is sponsored by Lucy. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative. Finally, tobacco alternatives that don't suck. It's 2021. Get rid of the cigarettes, unplug the vape, throw out your dip, and get some Lucy nicotine gum or lozenges. Folks, this is the real deal. A subscription to Lucy comes directly to your house each month. So it is simple, and you don't have to leave the house because Lucy has delivery down. Two-man power trip of wrestling listeners. Go to lucy.co and use promo code POWERTRIP to get 20% off all products, including gum or lozenges. That's lucy.co and use promo code POWERTRIP at checkout. Also, I have to give you this disclaimer. Warning! This product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So go to lucy.co and make sure to use that promo code POWERTRIP like my brother-in-law does. He really, really has switched from cigarettes to Lucy. So it is just an unbelievable thing for me to promote this stuff to you. One more time, lucy.co. Make sure to use the promo code Power trip. Yeah, I could see that being a problem. Like even me myself, I'd be like, "Oh, this guy's getting a paid. He's got a contract. He, you know, he has to be here. I want to be here." I could see there being, you know, definitely some friction at least. Yeah, I mean, it was definitely there, but uh, out the door. But like I said, there was, you know, uh, half a dozen of us, the ten of us or so that that was able to survive and and keep our spots, and not only keep our spots but actually thrive in our spots. Didn't AJ Styles basically get released down there, or what was the story with him? Wasn't he there at one point and then gone? Well, uh, 
they did a WWE tryout camp where they brought in 30 or 40 wrestlers uh, to see if they could cut the mustard and earn a contract. And AJ was there for that weekend, and he did the thing. And when they were done, they offered him a contract, but he said no. He was making more money than that uh, working out on the indies. Oh, okay. So that's what happened. Interesting. Like, just the names and the guys that ran through there is crazy. Even you mentioned a guy like Nigel McGinnis, who's just such a great wrestler, almost forgotten through the years, but he shouldn't be because definitely – to be one of the all-time greats, just he had such a great career, albeit a shorter one than he would have liked, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Nigel, what a great guy, great talent, and uh, I wish he wouldn't have been dealt the hand that he was, but, you know, he made the most of it and ended up scoring himself a contract with WWE, and, of course, it wasn't the wrestling contract that he wanted, but, I mean, he was the voice of NXT for quite a while. Yeah, yeah, for sure. With him, I do remember back in '04, you had a HWA title match in uh, Ring of Honor. Basically, it was for the HWA title, but it was in Ring of Honor. Yeah, uh, he was the HWA champ at that point in time, and he was just really starting to get going at Ring of Honor. And uh, they they were cool enough when they came to town to to uh, we used to rent our ring to them when they would come to Dayton and run in, in town. We would rent them our guardrails and our our bump mat, our, our whole set, more or less, they would rent it from us, and, and my crew would show up, set it all up. Um, so we had a we had a working relationship with Ring of Honor at that time, and uh, you know, so they they did us a solid by letting us promote uh, an HWA match on the Ring of Honor show. Um, so, you know, that, that was really cool. Was there ever any talks of you basically joining Ring of Honor, or that was never really the plan? Uh, I mean, I would have liked to, but I was literally uh, a month into coming back from breaking my neck, and uh, I was in, uh, I mean, I was in good shape, and, and I would have, you know, definitely liked to have gone on with that, but that was not something that we were ever thinking about. It was just a one-off deal, um, and, and after it was over, you know, they liked me, and they liked what they saw out of me, but uh, it was never pursued any farther than that on either end. How did you break your neck? How, what, would, like, what was the uh, injury surrounding that? Like, How did it uh, come to be? Um, two guys picked me up more or less in a vertical-like suplex, and they were supposed to swing me back down between them, and uh, I was supposed to land on my back, and they were supposed to land on their bellies on either side of me. Uh, but they, they spun me a little too hard, and I came down, and I landed on the top of my head and my toes. Uh, driving my chin into my sternum, cracked my sternum, uh, cracked my, uh, my two of my vertebrae, vertebrae uh, in, in my neck and uh, required uh, surgery and a plate and a couple of screws. And that was, uh, that was late in 2003. Uh, well, that, that happened in, in summer of 2003, and then I came back at the end of 2003 uh, and I think that match you're talking about at Ring of Honor was in January of '04, so I was just, you know, wasn't in the best, uh, you know, position at that point in time. Do you remember? Well, I'll be sure you remember. Who, who was the guys that hurt you? Was it uh, was it with when you're uh, wrestling the Island Boys, or was it somebody else? No, those guys were already gone by that point. Had already been uh, pulled up to WWE. This was after the contract. Uh, it was a set of twins that had come to Ohio from Vegas. 
they were called uh, the. They started out. They were called the Riggs Brothers, and then they changed their name to the Elliott Brothers. Uh, their names were Jason and Johnny Elliott. Um, you know, good kids, uh, big tall kids, about six five, six six. Uh, they both ended up getting contracts at at some point and being in the developmental system. Uh, and it was just an accident. I mean, nothing that was done on purpose or you know anything negative like that. Just shit happens in wrestling. I got gotcha. you. I always remember kind of certain guys from HWA, though, besides some of the guys we named, uh, Matt Stryker with a Y. I always thought he was great. Uh, maybe the unibrow thing wasn't, you know, a great gimmick, but he had felt like he was always a great wrestler. Rory Fox, I think everybody knows who he is. I mean, so HWA always had these guys, no matter what, that, you know, kind of either pop up in other places or you immediately remember as being HWA guys. Yeah, we had a, we had a hell of a class. All those guys uh... – you know, like when I was coming through the school and learning, uh, Matt Stryker, Rory Fox, and B.J. Whitmer, and Ray Steele, all those guys, you know, they we all joined within like a year or so of each other in the school. Um, so we were all there together at the same time, and uh, we all had the same goal and the same passion. We all wanted to make it, you know. And, and that's a problem I find with training today is there are so many guys that don't really want to go to that level. Like the younger guys, let's say like uh, Sammy Callahan, who you had a hand in training, or uh, Chad Allegra, a.k.a. Carl Anderson. When you wrestle them, and even Moxley, like when you're wrestling them and it, you know, in, in the mid-2000s, is this kind of learning on the job for them? Are you like the, the leader of the match? Are you leading them through matches and kind of getting them ready and almost really teaching them in the ring in front of a crowd how to work? Um, I have never, ever in my career, and I feel like I'm part of the last generation of people that was not trained to memorize matches. I do not memorize matches. I've never memorized matches, and I will never memorize matches. Uh, I I do all of my work in the ring. Uh, I may know uh, the, the, the last couple of seconds of the match. I may know the finish. I, we may talk about that. If there's a dive or something that's relatively dangerous, we may talk about that. Um, or if there's something that I can't communicate with you quickly enough uh, on the fly. But uh, I'm, I'm calling that stuff on the fly with them and teaching them on the go as we're doing. Um, you know, with John, John was real easy to, to work with. Uh, Chad Allegra, he wasn't really with us much. He trained with us for a, a month or two, and then he ended up uh, leaving HWA and going cross town to our competition, which was uh, NWF at the time. Uh, and and uh, so he, he really didn't crowd likes it or not. Do you think that's kind of led to, obviously, this, we're talking pre-COVID and pre-not having any fans, but when the fans are in there, do you think that kills it a little bit? Because you're just literally wrestling a match, and you're going to do this, and you're going to do that, and you don't even almost care what the reaction is. You're just going to go through motion. It seems overly choreographed. Do you think that kind of led to a little bit of a, a downturn in the business, that there's literally no crowd involvement? It's just them doing matches and moves? Uh, I don't know if that uh, equates to a downturn in the business or not because uh, everything has its place in the business. And even those guys that, that go 100 miles an hour and, and they, uh, you know, don't sell anything and, and all their stuff's pre-planned, uh, there's a market. They're going to go through the motions. So they worked on the spot, and, and it basically didn't work, and the referee was like, 
telling them like, Hey, I, I told you you should have went home here. And, you know, he was trying to explain to them like some of the things that they did wrong. He was a very veteran referee, but I was just astonished that they could even remember all that stuff. You know, it, it seemed like a lot. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems like a lot and it takes a while to get your brain trained to, to remember things like that. But it's, it's, it's sort of the, you know, um, when you get a new phone and you got to memorize your phone number, it takes you 10, 15 minutes to memorize your phone number. It's the same thing when you're putting together matches like that, where you're memorizing everything. You're just, you're literally putting it together piece by piece and you're going and repeating it over and over and over and over again. And uh, when you go to the ring, you're both repeating it in your head over and over again. And you're hoping that neither guy screws anything up. Um, and, And that's where you lose that crowd interaction because you're so busy trying to remember what it is you have to do, you forget that there's a crowd there. You forget to turn around and call the old lady in the front row, row an old lady. You know, you forget to, to call the guy with the pretty girl, you know, uh, a piece of garbage, and you're going to take his girl from him. You know, you, you forget those little details which generate heat and, and you know, make people either want to cheer you or boo you. I feel like when they do that, they completely almost cut out the crowd, which should be, you know, crazy to them. Should be the opposite of what they're thinking. So it, to me, it, you definitely, like you said, you lose that crowd interaction. The crowd can't really get invested into the guys because they're just watching them do moves. They can't get emotionally invested into the character, into the guy, or hate somebody or love somebody. I feel like when you're just doing moves. Yeah, I mean. I mean, and this is all, like I said, wrestling is a big old buffet of stuff, and there's a little bit of something out there for everybody. Um, you know, in my opinion, though, just uh, what what works for me and what works for the promotions that I am involved with is just, you know, your standard classic good guy versus your standard classic bad guy, struggle of good versus evil, uh, telling a story, making the fans believe, uh, being wrestlers that connect with the fans, that reach out, uh, you, you know, being that guy that's getting beat up, that looks towards that old lady in the front row for help to get her to start chanting, or that bad guy that, that uh, talks so much crap that he gets that old lady so riled up she's ready to come over the guardrail and whoop his butt. Uh, you know, uh, th- that's, to me, storytelling, and that's what's always, always going to sell tickets. No matter what, that will always sell tickets. Uh, your little uh, meme might get a thousand likes on Twitter, but that thousand likes isn't going to put any money in your pocket. I uh, totally agree. I, I I kind of miss the uh, the olden days, if you will, the quote unquote old of, of the guys actually calling it in the ring and getting that crowd reaction. And I don't know, it seems more natural to me. It seems just uh, more quote unquote real to me. I hate like those overly choreographed matches where you can literally see them in their head thinking out spots and like, Oh, what do I have to do next? No sell. What do I have to do next? Like, no, maybe, you know, maybe sell for a second there. Yeah. No, 100%. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, me as a still an active wrestler, when people know they have to wrestle me, uh, they know they're not going to get anything from me backstage. They're going to come up to me and they're going to say, Hey Cody, what are we going to do tonight? And I'll look at them and I'll just as plain as they say, well, we're going to wrestle and we're going to try not to get hurt. And, and then, you know, and that's generally about all I tell people. Uh, you know, I might, like I said, I might walk through a, a, a little finishing sequence, or if, if I might want somebody to dive, or I might dive, I might tell, I might mention that in the back. 
but these are all things I say we might do. We might not do them. If it's there and, and it works, then I'll call it and we'll do it. If it's not there, I'm not going to call it and we're going to move on. I don't feel like I have to get certain moves in. I don't have, uh, you know, I'm doing some air quotes here, but I don't have uh, stuff or or my my specific moves that I do every single match. No, I, I've been taught hundreds and hundreds of wrestling moves, and I try to reach deep in my brain and pull out moves that not everybody else is doing on the show. I try to watch the other matches and see what other people are doing. Where those guys were all coming off of television and they had to memorize their matches. So there was, you know, times where I had no choice. I had to, you know, play the game and memorize the matches too. Uh, but it was never something that I liked to do. Um, but as as guys get older and, and the wear and tear on their body starts to pick up and they've just been doing it for so long, I do see guys reaching a certain age and they, they revert back to calling stuff in the ring. Um you know, Mox is a perfect example of a guy who will, you know, call out a few things in the back, but 90% of what you see him do in the ring, they're calling that on the fly and they're doing it. Um, you know, it's Sammy Callahan, he's another one uh, who he is great at memorizing that stuff and, and he has to do it a lot for uh, Impact and for some of the other promotions he works for. Um, but, you know, if he has the opportunity to work with somebody that just wants to call it on the fly, he is, he's definitely down to just call it on the fly and, and let's just go out and, 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 and take a ride and have fun. With kind of, you know, Moxley and these guys, you know, they might have a little bit of that old school, you know, still left in them, even though, you know, they're fully involved in the new school and maybe in their quote-unquote prime right now, but they definitely have that old school in GW and stuff. You guys do weekly live shows, and you also do a YouTube show called Shockwave, right? So you you guys are keeping very busy in these times. Uh, well, we do a we do a, a show every Friday night. Uh, we we run in our little arena, which is also the school. We run there every Friday night, uh, and we tape that show, and then we uh, pick out of that uh, the the better storylines or better angles and we produce uh you know roughly a one hour youtube show called shockwave email and i and you were a guest trainer down for the wb at the performance center alongside nxt and matt bloom and that whole cast of characters what was it like being a trainer down there in florida it was just very blunt with him and i said hey the you know, i'm a trainer i've been training guys for a long time i've done all these jobs uh, i have a resume I uh, would like to know, uh, you know, the process I would go about as to being seen by you to possibly uh, come down and, and be a guest trainer. And uh, we, we corresponded back and forth a little bit, and then uh, he gave me the dates and times, and uh, they flew me down there, and they put me up in a five-star hotel, and they paid me quite well, and, and they took just uh, amazing, excellent care of me, and, uh, you know, it was one of the most fantastic uh, weeks I've ever had in pro wrestling. Is it one of those things where you wish it would have led to a full-time job, or is it one of those things where it was a great experience, you're okay with it not going any further? Of course. I mean, you'd be an idiot not to hope that it turns into a full-time job. Um, But there was no guarantee, and I knew that going in, and I've never been one of those people who gets, uh, you know, uh, butthurt because things don't work out because I've just – 
been around the wrestling business for a long time, and I've seen a lot of good guys almost make it and, and fail. And uh, so it, it was never that kind of thing. Yes, I definitely went down there with uh, the mindset that I want to impress these people and I want to do everything in my power uh, to get a job here. Yeah, that's absolutely. Now, as far as you know, FGW and everything, where can everybody find it or see it? What's the YouTube channel like? Where can everybody see all your stuff that you got going on? Well, if you if you just get on YouTube and you type "Future Great Wrestling" in, uh, you know our our page will pop up. If you if you click on the the link on our page uh, for Shockwave, uh, you know then all the uh, the episodes of Shockwave will pop up. Uh, you can go to Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. All right, Cody, thank you so much for all the time. I really appreciate it. Good luck with everything in FGW and everything else you got going on, including the Hawk Academy. Thank you so much. Appreciate all the time. This has been a John Paz Power Trip production in conjunction with the Two Man Power Trip of Wrestling. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can check us out on Facebook. You can subscribe on YouTube. You can go to patreon.com slash tmptempire to become a patron and also check out the website tmptempire.com and buy a shirt at prowrestlingtees.com. Two-man power trip where the power lies, brother. Cody Hawk is back! Cody Hawk looks like a million bucks and none too pleased! We have not seen Cody Hawk since his match in Origins 2 against Drew Skills. That war, one of the greatest moments in FGW history. What we thought may be Cody Hawk's last match. Cody Hawk, he's back tonight. He's back in the ring. He's back in front of Sean Reed. And what he's got something to say. I got. I don't. I'm gonna. Ah! This is. This is nuts! What's up, FGW? It's been a long damn time! And you people have kept us going, and we are still here. A lot's happened in the last seven and a half months. The last time you and I stood in a ring together, you hit me in the nuts. You threw me into that piece of garbage, Amos, and you allowed him to get over on me. You dumped me, you left me, you broke my heart. Then the coronavirus hit. And who did not answer your calls or did not answer your texts, but who did? When you were feeling lonely, when you were feeling blue, when you wanted to come spend a little time in the wrestling ring, who was there for you? Cody, 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 Cody. 
It's been an amazing spring, summer, and early fall. We spent 23 weeks in a row at the lake house. That was pretty cool, right? We went camping with a bunch of our friends. We've been to dinner a few times. We just got back from Florida together. The last time I was in this ring, I was wrestling Drew Skills, and I was wrestling for my life. I'll tell you the truth. Before I wrestled Drew Skills that night, Cody was done. I was beaten, I was battered, I was bruised, and I had nothing left to give to this wrestling business. And Drew kept me alive. He did what he needed to do to keep Cody Hawk alive. That's what a true friend does. I really wasn't sure whether I was going to come back to FGW as a wrestler or I was just going to stay in the back, run the show, and help everybody else. But I feel like I have a little bit of unfinished business with you. So what I am proposing right now is that you wrestle me right here, right now. And if you beat me, I will go back to the back and I will work his production and I will be done wrestling. Because you know where my head is and you know where my heart is with this business. And you know right now I could step away and be just fine. That's one thing coronavirus did for me. It made me realize I didn't need wrestling as much as I thought I did. So, Shauna Reed, will you do me the honor of wrestling me one last time? And we'll see how it goes. And if you win, I'll hang them up. And if I win, and if these FGW fans will have me back, then Cody Hawk will be back on this roster full frickin' time. If there's a referee in the back, I'd sure like one to come out. And it seems as if Shauna Reed has accepted the challenge. This is what I was talking about. When you were at our shows, you have no idea what's going to happen. We speculated the entire time how Cody Hawk felt about what was going on between Shauna Reed and Amos, and now we know. Cody, Cody Hawk it doesn't look like he's dressed to compete, but he just put his career on the line, Jay. Look at his face. Look at Cody in the eyes. That man is full of determination. And hold on, where is Shauna Reed's head? Like, what must she be thinking? Does she want to end the career on Cody Hawk? I mean, she took the match. She knew the, she knew the stipulation. I mean, but she got called out. I mean, she is a competitor Look, at the end of the day. Do you back down? They may not have a cure for coronavirus, but Cody Hawk just served her a double dose of truth. And look at this. Nice exchange there from the pretty little psycho in the Indy Icon, Cody Hawk, cover. Leg sweep, kick out. Leg sweep, kick again. Cody wow. Hawk hasn't been in the ring in seven and a half months, and he is holding his own. 
You know, I don't I don't know what to say about what we're seeing. I, you know, this action is going to speak for itself. Like but you said, we were getting ready to sign off. We thought that was it. We thought that was the last thing we were seeing tonight. Sign off, pack it up, pack it in. Everybody head home. We'll see you next week. And then this happens. And you know, let's talk about the last thing we're seeing. This could be the last time we ever see Cody Hall compete in a wrestling ring. After everything else we've seen tonight, I don't know if emotionally I can handle that right now, JC. Cody Hawk, single leg takedown, elbow attempt, Shauna Reed out of the way, arm drag takeover, Cody Hawk down, arm bar to Cody Hawk who comes back to his feet. Clone to the shoulder of Shauna Reed off the rope, hip toss attempt, hip toss counter. That could be a little bit of that seven and a half month hiatus playing a part, a factor right now. Sean has already been taking matches out of state and everything prior to our return here to FGW. Cody, however, has not been seen anywhere. And on top of that, like, Cody Hawk, he has a plethora of experience. Like, more experience than almost anybody in FGW. Maybe only second to sexy Sean Casey. But Shauna Reed, the younger of these two competitors. Shauna Reed, a lot more youthful, a lot less injured. A lot less worn down over the years. And I cannot sit here and say that Cody may not have a history of biting off more than he can chew. Look what happened between him and Drew in that match. That was it. That was almost it for him. And here we shot a read and Cody Hawk. Locking fingers. Shauna Reed manipulating her way into the offense. Cody Hawk disoriented by Shauna Reed, who is the Super Zeta Memorial champion. Won that in a tournament in Origins 2. Defeated Logan Blackheart to become the first ever champion to honor the memory of the other trainer Shauna Reed, of course, trained by Cody Hawk, also trained by Super Zeta, mm -hmm. who unfortunately passed away last year. Shauna Reed, she holds a championship in Zeta's memory. A lot of the things that she's done for the positive, she has said, has said it was for Zeta, or was to help carry on his legacy. Some of the other things I'm not so sure he would sign off on. But that right there is a perfect example of some of the things that she learned from Zeta with that tilt-a-whirl head scissors. Here we go, look at this. Monkey flip across the ring goes Cody Hawk. Corner to corner, another monkey well, flip. Oh, one. hold on, Cody you don't want to be in that position against Cody Hawk. I was thinking we might be about to see a muscle buster, but instead we see a tornado DDT. Cody Hawk head first into the middle of the ring. Shauna Reed, can you get the shoulders off? Here we go, the back press, one, two, one second away of from ending Cody Hawk's career. Of everybody that's in the locker room, do you think there's anybody that knows Cody Hawk better than Shauna does? I mean, I, I mean, there's I, I gonna be know. some close calls, but I'm, I'm, I don't know. I gotta be honest with you, I don't think anybody knows him better than Shauna right now. At, at least not in the same way that Shauna Reed and Cody Hawk know each other. Hold right on now, a Cody looks like he might be going for that package pile driver. I think you called it. Here we go, Shauna Reed resists. Shauna Reed, back body oh. drop to Cody Hawk, nearly threw him out of the ring. Here 
There we go. Cover hooked to the leg. Lateral press. No. Cody Hawk able to get his shoulder up. I, it still boggles my mind that we are seeing what may be the last match in the career of Cody Hawk. It's Origins 2 all over again, but this time Cody has stated that this will be his last match. There was speculation in Origins 2 as to whether or not after his match with Drew Skills that that would be his last. But tonight he has said, one, two. He has said he has come out and made it clear to everyone, if Shauna Reed beats him right here, right now, it will be the end of Cody Hawk's 20 plus year career. This has gotta have been an emotional roller coaster for Shauna after having that, 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 if you wanna call it heart to lack of heart with Amos, and then here we are. Now she's going against Cody. Now she's got Cody's career in the palm of her hands. If she pins him, this is it. And here we go, Bulldog. But how do you beat a man that's got nothing left to lose? Hugging both legs. Cody Hawk kicks out once again. You know, this is emotional for me to call. Cody Hawk, my trainer, I would, I'm not sure I would be sitting here right now. I absolutely wouldn't be sitting here right now if it wasn't for Cody Hawk. Cody Hawk, the man that gave me the, look at this, Hurricane Rana. Off the second row, Cody Hawk, the man that gave me the Ooh. platform to showcase Ooh. everything I've ever done in pro wrestling. Maybe taken out by Shauna here tonight, the continued Wait, kick to the chest. Hold on, Cody's trying to stop. Cody Hawk. Wow. Cody Hawk found the one counter to the offense she was hitting him with and popped the question. Yeah. Yeah. Hey. The schoolboy, one, two, three. Cody Hawk won the match anyway. I can confidently tell you.